we're in the second week of Advent, and for those of you here last week, uh, Advent is the preparation of the coming of somebody important, and um, they prepared, what's, what's funny? They prepared for um, the Advent or the coming of Christ, and, um, and we're preparing for a second coming, but the idea is to prepare our hearts for the coming Christmas season. And last week, we saw a clear picture of Advent in that we, uh, we wait. And uh, from, from Genesis to the Proto-Evangelicum, the very first presentation of the gospel in Genesis, all the way up until uh, Luke and the Christmas story, thousands of years had passed. And so folks patiently waited. And we looked at Simeon, who held the Christ child in his arms before he passed. And, and today, we're in the second week of Advent, and um, I want to continue in our study through the book of Romans, and, and, and it includes uh, Advent in the message this morning. But in a lot of churches, the second week of Advent, they light a purple candle. And I wanted to read to you uh, from an Advent calendar, and it says, uh, we light a second purple can- candle on the second Sunday of Advent, which is today, to represent the hope, the hope of Christ coming into the world. And then they wrote, the word hope has two meanings in the Bible. The first is tikva, and it contains a sense of eager anticipation or waiting, and we covered waiting last week. And the second, elpis, uh, depicts the sense of a confident expectation based on a certainty that he is who he says he is, and he's coming to redeem and transform the world. Biblical hope is secured by God's faithfulness to his promises, and all of his promises are yes and amen. For the Old Testament leaders, their hope was in the Messiah's arrival. For us, it's the hope of the Messiah's return. God's plan for humanity unfolded in the town of Bethlehem, the birthplace of the Messiah, and we'll study that as we get closer to Christmas, uh, joyously fulfilling a long-awaited promise that we looked at last week. And today we confidently wait for the Messiah's triumphant return, but we also prepare our hearts for the coming Christmas celebration. We're going to be in Romans 1 this morning, and before I have the scriptures passed out, uh, I did want to read to you um, out of Isaiah 9 in relation to that hope. You can write this down. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but let me read to you. This is a messianic um, prophecy, a messianic scripture dealing with the Messiah in the Old Testament. And Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 9, he said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, right? Kind of familiar with that, especially with San Bernardino and the like. Upon them, a light has shined. And then it drops down to verse 6, and it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it. Everyone say order it. Let's say to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. We're going to look at this concept of order. Order is where we get the word schematic and it's, it's a design. It's an established order. It's what our founding fathers called natural law. And this order is to govern mankind. And as I've shared with you in the previous messages, especially going through Romans, that we exchange the truth for a lie, and, and I'm blessed by Nick, who's here. He uh, attended last Tuesday's council meeting and contended for the idea that when we're sworn into office as council members, we no longer put our hand on the Bible. And as a, a Muslim, Nick was more than content to ask for the Bible to be returned, that those taking the oath of office would place their hand on a higher authority and recognize an absolute. And he sent me a number of articles and wrote letters to our representatives, and I was blessed by that, Nick. Thank you. But the idea is that when I was sworn into office, I raised my right hand, and I didn't put my hand on anything. I just raised my right hand. I recited the oath of office, the charge of office from the city clerk, Linda Lawrence. And in reciting that oath of office, without absolutes and without, as we, we've been covering, this idea of, of knowing that these inalienable rights, we, as it says in our birth certificate, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Inalienable means they can't be t- taken away and you can't give them back. And we're responsible for them, to protect them and to apply them. 
certain inalienable rights endowed by our creator, recognizing that there is a supreme lawgiver that we are accountable to, governing, and the, the government will be upon his shoulder to order it. We're governed by God. He is a God of justice and judgment. And so if each man and woman is accountable to God, the government will be less necessary because people will be ordered by God and accountable to God to honor and have their own personal lives governed. And that's why in America for 239 years, we've had a delicate balance of liberty and license. Uh, The government has given us freedoms. And when we sing our national anthem, uh, land of the free, we begin to cheer and then home of the brave. We love freedom, but freedom and license. If God is removed and we're no longer governed or accountable to a supreme being, to a supreme lawgiver, then every man does what seems right in his own eyes. And so that license then becomes, as it says, every man does what's right in his own eyes. That license is then exercised for deviance. And then what results from that is we reap what we've sown and we have chaos that ensues. And people no longer respect uh, boundaries, they no longer respect possessions, they no longer respect relationships, and then the order begins to to crumble as we walk away from the God of order, and what then ensues is a government that once had liberty and license then moves towards an authoritarian form of government, which would be, as it says, the government is upon his shoulder. When we remove God, then man then, then moves towards an authoritarian form of government, which means the government becomes larger and our liberties become less. As Benjamin Franklin said, those who would give up their security for the sake of liberty deserve neither. So for the sake of of safety, we give up our liberty, and we're afraid. And, And when we remove God from the equation... Because from a mindset of, of having a government devoid of God, man is the center of that government, and it's authoritarian run by elites. And it can take on a number of forms. It can be socialism, communism, fascism, etc. A large government where we think the government is the answer. And in doing that, what then, what then um, ensues is, is that we lose our freedoms. And, and one of the things that we do in a, in a government that doesn't recognize evil or absolutes and no Bible to place your hand on, man is innately good. That's the mindset of, of, this, uh, of this man-centered government. And, and because of that, there can't be evil because to declare that evil exists, we have to declare that good exists. And, and if good exists, then we're accountable to God, and we don't want that. So man can't be evil. So we can't blame man for the consequences of what occurred. Instead, we blame inanimate objects, such as guns or, or global warming, things that don't pertain to man themselves. And we, we remove ourselves from being accountable or guilty as charged. And so this is the mindset that we find ourselves in as our, our world is in chaos, and all of you are gathering here, and I imagine with your children and your grandchildren, a fear is instilled in all of us, and a concern has been instilled in all of us, wondering what does the future hold, and what is the future for our children and our grandchildren? And what is a government that becomes larger and the people become smaller? The greater the government, the smaller the citizen. A government big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. And so we find ourselves losing these freedoms. And and we're losing them because we're giving them away for the sake of security. And we're finding that that security uh, is is not even present. Here we are um, with an, an awful shooting in San Bernardino. It happened blocks away from a home Michelle and I owned in Redlands. Uh, 14 dead, over 20 wounded. Uh, we, they weren't even on anyone's radar. Uh, we, we hear the idea that they were radicalized, and that's a new term that we're finding, radicalized. And, and we're watching as we're trying to make sense of it, and how do we govern, and how do we protect ourselves? And, and we, we're going to remove um, amendments that we've been given and inalienable rights that we've been given, hopefully to obtain some measure of security. Well, today we, we come to a place where all of us are concerned and all of us being concerned and wondering what the answer is. God says to us in the second week of Advent and the preparation of the Christmas season, that there's hope, hope, not hope that a politician would promise, but hope that a living God gives to mankind. And as we read in Isaiah nine, the people who walked in darkness, and that's where we are today. We're in darkness We have seen a great light and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. And we're seeing death all around us. Upon them, a light is is shined. And what we're seeing is where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. 
People who I would have never been able to have a conversation with in regards to religious things. Last night, Michelle and I were at a dinner party with a lot of political officials, and the conversation for the most of the evening with anyone I was sitting with pertained to spiritual matters, which is fascinating to me. And questions of what do you make of it all? Wanting to know from the pastor, what do you make of it all? Having very interesting conversations, and I enjoyed it. And, and, and genuinely, and, and each of these people are kind and considerate, but, but watching as whatever it is they feel has, has been necessary to implement in government, something is amiss, something's wrong. And everybody is, is swirling with these questions and wondering. And then the statement from Isaiah is, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. As it goes on to say that it'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The part that I want to share as we begin to study Romans chapter 1 is that the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. But upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it. I had you recite those three words, to order it, to bring a schematic, to bring a design, to bring a structure for mankind to follow. This is what our founding fathers, as I said earlier, called natural law. One that we're all to have a bearing towards and an alignment with. And we're going to see in the study this morning this word orientation. Orientation is a word that when you look at the definition of the word orientation, it comes from an ancient meaning that you would orient yourself to the east by looking at the rising sun. And gaining your bearing by looking at the rising sun in the east, you knew where the west was in the north and the south. So you gained your bearing by looking at the rising sun in the east, and this is where we get the term orientation. Well, now as we begin to study into a culture, which was Rome, where 11 of the 14 Caesars that would hold power in the Roman government were homosexuals. We're we're going through where the early Christians, including Augustine, a church father, he himself too was a homosexual. And, and, And Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome from the city of Corinth. He's writing this letter to the church in Rome from the city of Corinth, and the city of Corinth had a, had a church there that put the fun in dysfunction. He, this church was a mess. You, <laughs> you had a, you, it, the scriptures declare that you had a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. The, the dysfunction, the sexual dysfunction of this church was epic. Paul would, would be penning this, and he, it, it, he didn't have to look any further than, than the end of his nose to see in front of him example after example to reflect and share with the church in Rome what they were up against. It was a culture inundated with sexual dysfunction. And Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Unrighteous means not aligned with the bearing of God, not in alignment with God. And he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There are natural laws that we're governed by, and no matter what we try to do, we're going to reap what we sow if we don't align and get our bearing with God. He says, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, and that's sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, we know what that is, to worship anything but God, nor adulterers, that's to lust for somebody in your heart, even though you haven't committed the act. Jesus said, all you have to do is think it, and you're guilty of it, which makes everybody in the room guilty. Then it says, nor homosexuals. And by the way, the term homosexual is the Greek word in ancient Greek literature that is malakoi. Malakoi means a passive partner in the classical Greek literature. It means the effeminate partner in a homosexual relationship, whether that's um, male and male or female and female. There's an effeminate, and we call it a butch and, and the like. And, and so the, the, the word homosexual is malakoi. It's a passive partner in the classical Greek literature. It says, nor sodomites. Sodomites is erisatokatoi, which means the the, uh, dominant male in a homosexual relationship. Then it goes on to say, nor thieves. We can just talk about taxes if we want to do that. Wait, I'm not done yet. Or Or tithing. There we go, got silent. Nor covetous. Nor drunkards, which also applies to pharmacia, drugs, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you and are some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified. 
Washed means cleansed in the blood of Christ. Though your sins were scarlet, they've been washed as white as so. Snake, sanctified means to be set apart and aligned with God's purposes. It says, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Justified, beautiful word, means just as if I'd never sinned. When God cleansed you, he cast your sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. You're a new creature in Christ. And this has been done in the name of the Lord Jesus by the spirit of our God. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 as he's mindful of all those who are present before him. And he begins to pen the words of Romans. And he's writing to a church in Rome that is inundated with sexual dysfunction. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. If you need a Bible, these folks will give you one. Just raise your hand and they'll give it to you. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. There you go. Anyone else need a Bible? There's one. We're all set. Romans chapter 1. Very controversial verse, one that is religious liberties will be infringed upon more than likely in time. And this is something predicted by Francis Schaeffer back in the early 80s, uh, that, that this will be a silenced portion of Scripture, no longer allowed to be spoken or taught in its context. But today we still have these freedoms. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And by the way, the word everyone believes. Everyone in the Greek means everyone. For in it, the righteousness, the bearing, the alignment of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God, remember, it's not global warming, it's global warning. Wrath is not God's capricious nature to dump on you because you failed. Wrath is God giving you what you want more than him, and then you reap the consequences of what you've sown. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. We covered that. Every man's without excuse. The sun rises, the sun sets. We're in a delicate balance. We know that there's a designer as we see all of creation. Even the, the, the simplicity of a, a single cell is nothing simplistic. It's designed. It has more DNA than, than all the dictionaries combined and, and the encyclopedias. It is a wealth of information contained in a single cell. It is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his external, or excuse me, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and in their foolish hearts. They were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds, and four-footed animals, creeping things. That's idolatry. Therefore, and by the way, the word therefore is put there so that we know what the next passage is there for. Therefore, and we're going to see this term three times in the passage. Therefore, God gave them up. What he did is he just let them reap what they were sowing. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So there's an exchange going, a replacement. They have rejected one and replaced it with another. They've exchanged the truth for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's to be blessed forever. Amen. Again, idolatry. Verse 26, for this reason, what we just read, for this reason, again, God gave them up to vile passions for even their woman exchanged uh, the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned. And the word burn means to, to burn to a cinder, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful. The word shameful, by the way, is askimazum, which just simply means against the schematic, against the order. You see that? And receiving in themselves the penalty of the error, which was due. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, 
wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, quite a list, who, knowing the righteous judgment, the alignment of God, the order of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And this is the passage we will study. Lord, we ask your blessing, and I pray, God, that you would bring the hope that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward and forever, that the order of God would be established in the darkness of this world, that men and women in the midst of the depravity and the fear and the trepidation and the death and the land of death in the shadow of death, walking in darkness, where sin would be abounding, that grace would abound even more in this Christmas season, that people would long for a transformation of their lives, that their personal lives would come into the schematic and the order of God. And so, Lord, as we study your word, would you establish that in our hearts, that we would be blessed and encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. First of all, in the passage of Scripture that we're looking at, one of the things I wanted to establish early on for all of us is the simple fact that Jesus said in John 17, he said to the Father, he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. As I use the illustration of me not placing my hand on the Bible, truth now in our culture, having removed God, is relative. Whatever is true for you may not be true for me. And so we get to make up our own rules. And I can define Linda Lawrence's statement to me in the oath of office any way I so see fit if there's no absolutes to govern that. That's why in today's society, the... the being guilty of perjury is a very hard one to prosecute. You can't prosecute someone on perjury nowadays because I wasn't lying. I just didn't understand what you were saying because what you're saying isn't the way I interpret that. And uh, those who are in power make the rules and the rules are changeable. As we see in our state government, what's called gut and amend, where you take a bill and then you can suspend the rules and you can do whatever you like. And you can do executive orders, even though we're in a three system of government, executive, legislative, judicial, and you suspend and change the rules and make them flexible and whatever you want to interpret it and how you want to see it. And the constitution is a living document and it's able to be reinterpreted and there's no context, no absolutes. And so we find ourselves in a chaos and those who are in power abuse that. And then government becomes larger and our liberties become less. So here we have this and Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth, set them apart, establish them. Align them. Give them a schematic and an order. Give them a bearing. Your word is truth. He says in Psalm 119, verse 160, which is an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet that every child in the Jewish culture by the age of 13 has to memorize uh, over 100 verses of Psalm 119, and each deals with the alphabet of the Hebrew uh, al- alphabet, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and every verse deals with the truth of God's word. In Psalm 119, verse 160, it says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. There's a supreme lawgiver. Mankind is accountable to him. We can reject that, and then we reap what we've sown. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, For anyone who's questioning and wondering how he has the authority to declare such things, he said of himself, and we have to contend with this and decide what we believe about Jesus. We can't just say he's a good man. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's God, because he said of himself... I am the way. When he uses the word the, he says, I encounter distinction to all others. He's saying, I am the only way. I'm the only truth and I'm the only life. No man comes to the father except through me. I encounter distinction to all others. I'm the truth. So with this alignment and with this foundation and with this this structure that God gives us, that man recognizes that we are creatures, he's the creator, he is the supreme lawgiver, and he is not only the supreme lawgiver, he's just and he's a God of judgment. Now, this idea of justice, is there anyone in the room who would accept judgment, or excuse me, is there anyone in the room who would accept justice before they would accept mercy in your own life? Now, granted, if somebody's wronged us, we would want judgment for them, certainly not mercy, correct? But the Bible says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, there's no one in the room, if we recognize a supreme lawgiver and we violated his supreme law, 
that we would want judgment from God. We would long for mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Our children cry for that often, don't they? And so with this, he is a God of justice and he's a God of judgment. So if he's a God of justice and man has sinned and he's come to give them mercy, then somebody has to pay the price for that sin. And that is the beauty in the darkness of a world filled with sin and with murder and with strife and in the shadow of death that unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. This child, this son that was given to the world is the child that was born to die. He died so that we would be set free. He died so that God could be merciful and also just. He died so that his blood could be shed for the remission of our sins. He was without sin. He paid the penalty for our sins. His body was broken. His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. This is the hope of Christmas. This is unto us a child is born and a son is given. And the reason why he goes on to say to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward is God is saying that the world is in darkness. The world is in the shadow of death. And as we cry out in a world inundated with sin and dysfunction and disorder, God says, I've come that you might have life, that you would know the truth and the truth would set you free, that you would have order, that you would have liberty with license. And this liberty with license that God gives us in accordance with his word in Isaiah 9 and also as we'll see in Romans 1, This liberty God gives us is because our life has a bearing, not with the eastern sun rising, S-U-N, but our bearing is upon the sun, S-O-N, that we take all of our orientation, no matter what we have, and we align it with his, and our life is governed individually, and then corporately as a people, that government is upon his shoulder, and we do what is right. And the government becomes smaller because mankind is governed by God. That's the magnificence of what we've been given in recognizing God. And so here we see in Romans chapter 1 what has come to be a very, very difficult verse for the world to understand. Paul begins in verse 16 by sharing with us that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Again, writing from Corinth, and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. He's looking at this church in Corinth, and he's seeing this city that's inundated by the Roman culture and 11 of the 14 Caesars uh, having avowed homosexuality and practiced homosexuality, even Augustine having suffered through this and having been a homosexual himself and having that orientation towards a... a, a Uh, a temptation towards the same sex. Uh, This was his struggle in life. And Paul says, this is the power of God unto salvation for all who would believe. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. And he just tells the order of how it was received in the world. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God, this alignment of God, this reorientation of God is revealed from faith to faith. That is, as written, the just shall live by faith. We trust that Christ will realign us and give us an orientation as to what he desires for us as we submit all of our temptations and struggles with him. But before he takes us to Romans chapter 1, with his understanding that the just shall live by faith, he wants to prepare to bring us to Romans chapter 3. He wants to bring us to Romans chapter 3, and the way he's going to allow us to apprehend and take hold of Romans 1 is he's going to show us in Romans 3 where we fit in the schematic, where we fit in the order of all this in a fallen dark world in the shadow of death. He says in Romans 3 verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that's us, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. God brought the law so that we could see we couldn't keep it. The law is good, but we have no ability to keep it. There are none righteous, no, not one. As we went through this list in in Romans chapter 1, you all wanted to probably camp on the sins of people that you consider worse than the ones you possess. But I know that as we read through this, somewhere in there, you were a little bit mindful of what you are guilty of. I know I am. I would like to avoid this study, quite honestly. (laughs) Being filled with all unrighteousness, Romans 1 verse 29, it begins with sexual immorality. Let's just stop there. Doesn't take long, does it? Sexual immorality. Take on a whole lot of 
different directions. Pornography, fornication, adultery, incest, bestiality, homosexuality, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality means a deviance, a deviance, a misalignment with what God intended. You see, what Paul is saying is God has an order. He established that in Genesis. And the argument for those who would want to justify their sin and to say, I'm not out of order, I'm in alignment. You see, what God intended in in Leviticus and Deuteronomy in speaking to a sexual dysfunction, whether it was incest or adultery or homosexuality, God was pointing out, especially with homosexuality, that he was dealing with idolatry. And that's why he forbid those sins because of idolatry. Well, yes, he he did... assign those sins to idolatry, and it all begins with idolatry. Idolatry is replacing God with a creature instead of the creator. But the byproduct of idolatry is going to be that sexual dysfunction, that misalignment, that deviance, that temptation that we struggle with. And so for all of us, it takes on a whole different format. And when we read the word sexual, the two words sexual immorality, there's a bend in every room in here. I don't, I don't know what trips your trigger, but I can guarantee you, you don't want us to show a video of it. And there are certain things that, that you're tempted by. And the things that you're tempted by, I'm probably not tempted by. I, I, you know, jokingly in our culture, when we try to justify our sin and somehow give it some sort of a scientific approach or to say that, you know, this is who I am and how I identify myself, I, I guess with the world's lexicon, I would be identified as a monogamous lesbian trapped in a male's body. Just for those of you who are wondering, just put that in your pocket for later. You can process that. But there are, there are things I struggle with. There are things that are a, a, a deviance, and I imagine you have them as well. And if you don't, we can discuss this later. I can show you. I'm, not physically, I can show you <laughs> theologically how that would align. It's, it's my brain. It's, it's a problem. I live with this brain. But the sexual immorality, Paul wants to get us all to Romans 3. We're all in this. We're all in this. He's actually in Romans 2 going to deal with the self-righteous. Those of you who think that your sexual morality is somehow less than someone else's, he's going to dispel that quickly and get you to Romans 3. Everybody's a mess. We all have our orientation misaligned. And the tragedy of the orientation. You see, we're a culture that walked away from God in the 50s. Divorce is epidemic child molestation, incest. We've taken it to a whole new meaning, taken it to a whole new level. Some of you are older and you don't know how to work the internet. Some of you are older and have figured out the internet. (laughs) You see the mess that's there and every type of deviance imaginable. And, and, And it just progresses the misalignment where God has given us over. We removed him from our public edifices. We removed him from our oaths of office. We've removed him from our schools. And as a result, we're reaping what we've sown. It'll take me one click to get to vileness. One click. And in that click, you'll see things that you never imaginable. And how each of us is warped. And how we've been warped. Oh my goodness. Some of you from divorced homes, not having a mother or father, wondering who to align with. And in that rite of passage for a male and looking for a male figure and it's absent in your home and, and then trying to process and then the anger. And, 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 and sex in and of itself was designed by God in Genesis. The order of it, the alignment, the bearing of it that God had intended was, was an expression of intimacy. Man is a trichotomy, a three-part being. Body, soul, and spirit. The Greeks called it soma, psyche, and pneuma. 
And in this alignment of, of the trichotomy of man, soma is the body of finding one another attractive. Psyche is the mind or the intellect where we enjoy each other's conversation. And, and then the pneuma is the spirit of God. And when these three are connected in an intimate connection where we're aligned with another human being of the opposite sex, where we're wired differently and we connect with each other, God's given us a physical expression of the sexual relationship that when, when we're aligned and we have our bearing on God, the sexual relationship is intimacy unlike anything the world can offer. And that expression of intimacy is on every fashionable level, emotional, spiritual, and physical. Fascinating. But what we find is that when we lose our bearing on God, sex in this drive for mankind, and the fourth most intense drive of a male is his sex drive, what we find is that when this bearing on God, this orientation on God is removed, and we don't look to him for our alignment, and we do what seems right in our own eyes, we're bent. We're misaligned. And our temptations take on a whole new meaning. And, and, and as, as culture begins to, to sow to the flesh and sow to the deviance, it, it, it takes on bestiality and it takes on violence and it takes on awful things. They're all awful. They're all awful. Just to the degree of the awfulness. And in that, we look at it, and, we, and, and pornography in and of itself, it, it takes on a, a violent nature. It takes on a humiliating nature because you have two people engaged in an act that is supposed to, to represent um, intimacy. And they're not connected. They're not aligned with God. They're not aligned with each other. And, and they look at each other as objects, and they use them, and they abuse them. And it, it takes on a violent form, and it takes on a humiliating form. And, 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 and it's all because you're using someone else for your self-gratification. When the Lord says that marriage, designed and ordered by God in Genesis, a man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Two opposite creatures, yielding themselves in humility, submitting to one another. And I have to tell you, for me to submit to a man or understand a man, it's not hard. It's not difficult. Everything about a man, I understand. I'm a man. And everything I, I would love about that man is what I love about myself. It's an expression in a sense of, uh, uh, what, what's the, uh, the person who loved himself? Narcissism. It's the highest form of narcissism. Everything I love about you is what I love about me. I just love me. And there's two of me. <laughs> but for me to love Michelle, I don't know what planet she's from. No offense, dear. I, I, and in your planet, I don't know why they use so many words. <laughs> and while, why every thought is connected to an emotion. And everything has to tie in with everything else. I was driving today, and, and I was on my way to church, and I drove by Micah. And he's in the far lane going straight. I'm going left to go to coffee. He honks. I look at him. He waves. I wave back. I do this. He goes, shakes his head. I knew exactly what he meant. You want coffee? No. Okay. No words exchanged. <laughs> Deep meaningful connection deep meaningful connection unbelievable and I just Arr! had that been my wife she would have called me we had, what, what, you're going why are you going there what are you and then are you well I think let's see a latte maybe with oh no I don't necessarily feel like a latte I was thinking more uh, you know if we could get two pumps and maybe just a little and then just less foam and I I don't I don't even want to get to the window to describe that I drove up to the window to order and I said I said cold brew in a venti cup of ice and she said do you want that in a a grande size over a venti cup. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't care how much you put in. Venti cup of ice, cold brew. You can fill it or not fill it. I, I'm not going there. And it was a woman asking me. I, you're not from my world. I don't get you. Too Splenda, very simple. I'm out of words. Move on. Tell me the price. I'll pay it. I'm going somewhere. For me to understand my wife, I have to listen. And as I do listen, I come to see a world I never understood. A world of color and beauty. A world of connection. She can look at my children's drawings when they were young and say, oh, that's so wonderful. I look at, what are, what's wrong with you, child? <laughs> Somebody help this kid. My, oh, you just, how you did the sun over here. That's not a sun, it's a blob of yellow. What in the world? 
And, and to see the world through her eyes changes my heart. The sensitivity towards things that I would walk by. For her, she, she relies on me to, honey, can you help me with this? And, 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 I, and I go through all of it and I lay it all out. And she goes, how do you do it? It's how I'm wired. Now, and that's not in every relationship. And I imagine in a homosexual relationship, male and male, female and female, there's a, a connection there that you can share different ways of understanding and you may relate to the male side. And that's where we saw in 1 Corinthians that, that you have the effeminate and then you have the dominant role. Even, even in society where we're warped and, and we have a dysfunction and an orientation that is not aligned with God, we still try to obtain the roles of a dominant and an, and, and, and a, an effeminate. We, we attempt to do that. We try to somehow have structure in a, in, a, in a world of the shadow of death and dwelling in darkness. We do our best. We want to connect. We want to have that intimacy. But we've come to a place in the scripture where when, when Paul says to the church in Rome, God has given them up. We've walked away from the Lord and we've tried to redefine our orientation and we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And God is saying, okay, then you will reap what you've sown. And now we're left in a world of chaos and we're scared. We're fearful. God is saying, it's real simple. In the darkness, as you've walked in this darkness, you've now seen a great light. This light is to get your bearing your orientation. And this light is an S-U-N in the East. This light is the S-O-N of the Son of God. He's come that you might have life and life more abundant. And unto us a child is born and a son is given to order the government and establish it with judgment and justice, that he is a supreme lawgiver and that our life comes into alignment in order in bearing with the S-O-N. Not against nature. You see, if we abandon God, exchange the truth for a lie, for this reason, God will give us up. He wants us to be able to see the consequences of our actions. Sometimes it's the hardest thing for a parent to let your children experience the consequences or they'll never learn. And as a result of exchanging the truth for a lie and God giving us up for this reason, we find that our sexual orientation becomes warped and deviated. Women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, we burn in our lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful, meaning what is against the schematic and against the order, and receiving in ourselves a, the, the due penalty of our error. It comes due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. We're looking at a world where we've removed God and we're reaping what we've sown. And now, for those of you who'd say, whoa, well, it's about homosexuality. Let me stop for a moment. Yes, idolatry is a reason why we have sexual deviance. And God negated for future generations in the Old Testament the ceremonial law. He negated for future generations the civil law of Israel. But he didn't negate the moral law. The moral law has always been with us. It's a divine standard. And, and, and God has given us this moral law. And a clear description that God is not approving of what we're doing because we're reaping what we've sown. And as a result, he says at this point, he gives us over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. And when he says this, he says, being filled with all unrighteousness, we're all, uh, our bearings are all screwed up. And as a result, he begins with sexual immorality and then wickedness. We don't have to go to homosexuality. The room is already guilty. We're all going to get to Romans 3 together. Covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife. Murder, I've never committed murder. Yes, you have. Oh, yes, you have. Jesus said, you've heard this says, I was going to commit murder, but I say to you, if you've ever said to your brother, Raka, or fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Have you ever said any words to somebody to attack their character in your anger? Yes, yes. You don't need a gun to kill your child. You can just say you're stupid and your mother and I hate you. That will do just fine. I've watched his spouses, how they speak to one another with murderous words, destroying a relationship and, and, and spiritually killing the mother of their children or the father of their children for the sake of personal positioning to defend your ego. Stop it. We're all guilty. We're all misaligned. We've lost our bearing. Covetous, malicious, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit evil-mindedness, they're whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters of evil things, disobedient to parents, untrustworthy, undiscerning, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. 
We know the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such things are deserving of death. We not only do the same, but we also approve of those who do that. We know where the truth is, but we deliberately lead people astray for the sake of preserving our deviance. It's tragic. And we make it law. We silence anyone who would be in opposition to what God declares. He is a God of order. He is a God of order. And I would say to you in these final moments as we prepare for worship and communion, I would say this to you. This room is marred by sin. Nowhere more so than behind this wooden stand. It's true. God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. I'm not a, I'm not a moral giant. That's not why I stand behind this box. I'm as warped as you are. Maybe more so. Probably more so. I live with me. I know me. And the idea of this warped nature of our lives as a result of sin and the marred condition that we are in in this darkened world in the shadow of death, I would say to all of you, including myself, and hear God's word. And some of you may disagree with me. So be it. You may not be responsible for what tempts you. Some of you want to say, you're not born that way. I'm just going to give that to you. Whatever your deviance is. I know I was born to lust after other women other than my wife. You're not responsible for what tempts you. And maybe it was an imprint when you were young or the absence of a, of a, of a parent. I don't know. I just know we've screwed it up pretty good that everybody's got some sort of a funky temptation that is really warped or many of them. You're not responsible for what tempts you, but you are responsible for your actions. We are all tempted. We're misaligned. We're disoriented. We talk about sexual orientation. Sexual orientation is defined from the word. A man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Not fornicators, not adulterers, not incest, not homosexuality. Listen, my sin is not less than yours, whatever your temptation is. Augustine was a church giant. And his bend, his, 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 his worldly sexual orientation was to the same sex. He wrote, I contaminated the spring of male friendship with the dirt of lust. That's Augustine. Our government is established in the wisdom of what Augustine did is what we have here in the Western world. You're not responsible for what tempts you, but you are responsible for your actions. And the responsibility of those actions is simply this. We have to get our orientation back. You see, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. That son came to die in your place and in mine. And the beauty of it is that the government will be upon his shoulder. You know what that government is? the government of your life before God, a society where God governs in the hearts of men is a government that need not suppress the freedoms that we once possessed because we care for one another, because we're accountable to God. You see, that's why God must be returned to our society. The government would be upon his shoulder. And for those of you like me, which is all of us, as we'll get to Romans 3. We're warped. Everybody's got issues. Your orientation is all screwed up, and so is mine. And God says, it's time to gain our bearing on the rising of the sun, S-O-N. And he says, when this government is upon his shoulder, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. See, he's a wonderful counselor. 
I don't know what happened to you when you were young. I don't know what warped you or what warped me, but God does. He knows how to walk you through it and to process it. In addition, he will be mighty God. He's bigger than all that you're struggling with. And here's the beauty of it. He's the everlasting father. Our culture has lost the father. A lot of our disorientation, a lot of our chaos is a result of the absence of fathers in our families. He will be for you what you've never had if you give him the chance. He's also the Prince of Peace. I would just ask all of you, in your, in, including me, in your warped sexual orientation, are you happy? Are you experiencing intimacy with God and with man? Are you angry? Are you upset with me because of what I'm reading? Do you want me dead? Are you intolerant of what I'm sharing? He's the Prince of Peace. There'll be conflict. Peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict to let you know he's going to fix it. You're being realigned. And once this is established, the increase of his government of peace, there'll be no end as we touch lives around us when we're realigned with the SON. And then finally, he does all this to order it, to bring the schematic that our lives are operating properly. Any chiropractor in this room understands the need to align a spine. Well, this is time to align mankind to our creator, to establish judgment and justice from this time forward and forever. This is what God has done for us. And what we have come to understand as we prepare to take communion and worship the living God is this. We are a people who walked in darkness and we've seen a great light. We've dwelt in the land of the shadow of death and it's all around us right now and it's awful. And we're scared. But God has come to give you life and life more abundance and a peace that surpasses all understanding. To realign you individually to his government. That you would be governed and aligned with the living God. And that will be done because for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. And the government, your life, will be upon his shoulder. And he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and realign you with his will and his purpose. And he's come that you'd know the truth and the truth would set you free. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare to take communion and worship you, we're grateful, Lord Jesus, that in a dark world, you came and you dwelt in the land of the shadow of death to shine a light of salvation, that you were the child born, the son given, that you came to die that we might live and the government is upon your shoulder, the government of our life, that you would minister to us and bless us and establish your judgment and justice from this time forward and to order our lives, the schematic, the bearing, not upon the rising of the eastern sun, but upon the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the savior of the world. And this Advent, we prepare to receive all that you have for us and submit our life and our warped orientation that our bearing would be established on an immovable, mighty God. In Jesus' name, amen.